0: Welcome to Podcast X, Episode 16. My name is Ben Kendrick. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hey, we're back, and I have whiskey. Oh, I didn't get the memo that we're like we're all drinking now. Um, well, it's my new thing starting today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, it's been a rough. It's been a rough three weeks that we that we took off. Um, we're also joined by special guest, Kofi Outlaw. Hey, what's going on?
1: What are you drinking tonight? I'm just drinking a just a classic homemade margarita.
0: Oh, all right. Okay. Well, uh we want to thank our listeners for, you know, being patient while well, we took a few weeks off for some just kind of like mental health (laughs) like days. And I mean, some people may have seen us. We don't want to bring the mood down too much, but a good friend of Rob and I, um, that we work with passed away while, while we were all away. So, um, you know, we had intended to come back last week and then that happened. And, you know, it's just, it's been a pretty intense three weeks in our, in our personal lives. So, um, I've always been really kind of open and honest about my struggles with like anxiety and everything. And I, I was struggling a bit with that a few weeks ago and, um, doing much better now. And, you know, Robin and I are kind of on the other side of, of obviously, you know, you, like, I don't know what to say about it, but like losing our friend, like we're, we're kind of on the other side of that now and starting to heal and move forward. So, um, we're back and we want to kind of get back into a groove and, you know, we enjoy talking to each other. We enjoy having you guys listen. We enjoy interacting with you guys. So thank you for letting us take that time. And uh this week we will be talking about andor so we're recording this before I've been able to see the episode since I'm just a you know a casual observer these days except for except for my movie screenings so I have not seen andor but these two guys have they've seen the first four episodes um, which are when you guys are hearing this um, will be dropping very very shortly so, uh we're gonna review Andor, kind of talk a little bit about you know how this Disney Plus Star Wars TV show roster is shaping up and uh and how Andor fits in it. These guys had high hopes for the show, so I'm very curious to hear what you all uh what you all had to say. So uh or what you all thought. So uh without further ado, which one of you guys wants to jump off? I think I previously made the mistake of saying that Rob was a bigger Star Wars fan than Kofi. So Kofi, do you want to start?
2: Yeah, Kofi, you go first. It's probably more fresh in your mind.
0: Um, first of all,
1: what a podcast! A special guest on. Uh, you guys are keeping <laughs> it uplifted, and yes, uh, yeah, okay, no yeah. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, my weeks have not borne as much tragedy. Uh, you know, just been steady grinding out here uh still got to run the excellent comic book nation podcast which is a source of moral support for a lot of people i can't i can't duck out of that one so i've been at it i've been out here but uh yeah it's good to be uh back here on podcast x with this uh swell of upliftingness and (laughs) talk and free (laughs) recordings.
0: Yeah, I apologize. I just like, I mean, you know, we took the time off and I felt like we ought to address it and like, you know, and we do, we, like, I appreciated everybody kind of just being like, you know, we're here for you guys when you guys are ready to come back. Like we've always been upfront saying,
1: you know, it's easy for me to make allowances in my unpaid work. It's, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Always
0: let you take a break, do what you need to
1: do. Yeah. You know, they're not writing my checks, so it's okay. It's, um, I want you to get better. <laughs>
2: As he stirs if comes to margarita. My
1: free, if it comes to uh, my free hobbies and and your mental health, I choose your mental health every oh, single man, most I of the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate But But, um, all right. So, yeah, we're back and uh, I'm guesting here. And this time we're going to be talking and or it's kind of a funny thing. There's been a lot that's happened uh, just content wise, not, you know, personal wise but uh content wise and the uh oh no i mean i i mean i guess i did have a I give a wild couple of weeks i've had my wife had covid my mom has covid um Ugh. my school my kid's school made the news and is no longer a school like yeah it's been it's been kind of crazy adventure jesus Jesus Christ! Yeah. yeah, yeah, but see, that's the thing. You have forget right. you've forgotten. That was like a month ago. Now you've forgotten all of this. <laughs> no, no, <that's, laughs> this, this was last motherfucker. This was last week. Like, oh man, uh, go, shit gets go, too go. real in my world too often for me to like. I, I just learned not to dwell. You just got to let it yeah. duck. You know, that's my advice to you. Just you know, take your traumas and let them wash over you like a, off a duck's back. You'll forget yeah. them soon. They'll be replaced by new ones. So just that's stay, it. stay fluid. That's it. Alright, but somewhere in there I did watch Andor, which is a uh, good jumping off point for, uh, you know, somber times, because um, this series very much deals with the early era of the Galactic Empire, and, you know, this this is a time called the Age of the Empire, now in the fancy new Star Wars timeline, because uh, like Solo, a Star Wars story or Bad Batch, it's it's before there was really ever a rebellion, which kind of really kicks off around Star Wars Rebels time, Rogue One, then into A New Hope. That's the age of the rebellion. So these kind of projects that are set right after Revenge of the Sith in, in the early days of the Empire, or in the case of Andor, at least five years before the Battle of uh, Yavin, you know, it, it's... It, it's a darker time and it's a and it's a largely unexplored time of Star Wars for many people. We don't get a lot of stories in this period when things are bleak and there wasn't really an organized effort um and Andor is doing a kind of meticulous job of what it's 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 by Tony Gilroy, who was brought in as the kind of unofficial director to pull together Rogue One. You know his other work from like Michael Clayton, The Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum, Born Legacy, which he directed. Um, yeah, and so Tony Gilroy is—he's kind of like a close cousin of Michael Mann in that they both like playing in these very kind of esoteric worlds, like cops, spies, assassins, you know, espionage people, or high-priced corporate lawyers and stuff like that, and Michael Clayton. And these are all worlds of people who have their own kind of, you know, secondhand, you know, way of doing things and their own kind of esoteric lingo that they all know. And most of the scenes of him is just people who are in the know of these worlds kind of trading back and forth, almost like somewhere between Michael Mann and Aaron Sorkin style dialogue and kind of, you know, you having to kind of infer from these largely emotionally clamped people, like what's going on and, and how these conversations or actions or interactions are kind of pushing tensions one way or another or pushing characters to make decisions. And that's very much for better or worse. What Andor is, I mean, Tony Gilroy really, when you get old enough, you realize filmmakers don't really, they, most of them just have like one story to tell. There's very few versatile, you know, filmmakers. It's like Ang Lee and, nobody else. Right. So like, I'm not, I'm kidding. I'm going to get so much crap for that comment, but <laughs> it, Ang Lee is like it. a clear example of a guy who, who does, but Ang Lee is like the clear example of a guy who can do like anything. Right. He can go from yeah, joy, luck sure. club to life of Pi to crouching tiger, hidden dragon to Hulk. And, you know, he loves to do that. But then there's Steven Spielberg. Who's just telling you the story of his parents divorce over and over again um, in every movie <laughs> for all of time. Like, and that's okay because most of us, you know, we went to writing school. Me and Ben. It's a funny day. We've yep. been talking about history of things, but uh, yeah, we went to writing school. I mean, most you mostly do. Just most writers do just tell one story in different formats and ways. But um, yeah. Tony Gilroy likes to examine what being part of these kind of like worlds or these things you become a part of, and how they can kind of push your moral compass one way or the other, or compromise you morally. And what that kind of tension and pull does to a person, right? Um, yeah. And so, like, for better or for worse, that's what Andor is, too. It's just Tony Gilroy's formula laid over Star Wars. And in that sense, it's the most unrecognizable Star Wars-y thing you probably have seen since Rogue One. But it's even more like what – I mean, this is not a studio movie. So, like, this is Rogue One without as as much notes, you know, studio notes, right? Yeah. So I understand why they released the I bring that on back to say, I understand why they released this as the first three episodes because in a certain sense, like, yeah, if this had been one episode a week, this show would have gotten roasted in the first couple of weeks, like hands down because it, it literally just, it's not episodic. It is. I know we always have this debate about whether people are bullshitting, but it is very much like a long form movie cut into parts so far from after four episodes that i've seen and like one episode just stops bro like i mean it just stops like cassie and Andor is all walking down an alleyway on his way to meet the next person he needs to talk to and the episode just stops you know what i mean and so like people are going to lose their minds if that was just <laughs> the first episode like like wait what because there is that like so many Tony Gilroy things, like if you're not paying close attention to like what's actually happening between these characters and what they're saying, and if you're not following it, you can come away being like, wait, I didn't see anything that makes me think like a whole lot happened in this episode. But it's like, no, there is a lot that does. And by the fourth episode, like for sure, you're like, okay, like, yeah, this is all like a heavy espionage story about, how in meticulous detail the empire begins to affect things like who shifts towards fascism who shifts towards you know doing whatever it takes to can't who are the people who get pressed into like knowing they can't live under fascism and do extreme things to combat it and you begin to see the more high stakes tensions and it becomes a more interesting thing um an ambitious tale about yeah, another kind of story of how the rebellion begun because rebels. While it did show you how the rebellion begun, it was this little pocket group, right? The the ghost, you know, the ghost crew. This is kind of more of the larger main structure of the rebellion and and how did that get formed? Like, how did people like Mon Motha and other people? who were in the heart of the empire and did have these positions of like privilege and power and could have wrote it out and been part of it. Like, why did they start, you know, risking it to, to form what would become the galactic rebellion. And so it's an ambitious thing, but um, it's an exciting thing. And Diego Luna's great (laughs) in it, in it. And uh, there's some other actors that become the, who begin to come filter in it. The first three episodes are pretty much their own arc before the fourth episode kind of, opens you up to the larger arc of what it's going to be and yeah that's pretty exciting and i I like where it's going and what they're playing with so i enjoyed the first like the first arc of this i and but i very much understand why it works better as three episodes together and how that can hopefully will function better with people's reception of it
0: yeah, I wonder if, uh, in hindsight, if, like, it would have been better if something like like Obi-Wan had been released in, like, three episodes to get you past those first, like, that, you know, kind of second rough episode and stuff, too. I, I know you're talking about something different. I obviously haven't seen this yet, but, um, like, I, I I'm kind of curious about that. There was that news while we were away, too, that, you know, Netflix was maybe considering doing you know like a uh, more episodic releases and stuff and like it's interesting seeing these different streaming services start to like toy with that formula to their advantage but yeah, to manipulate the subscribers,
2: prevent them from yeah. canceling for three <laughs> months at a time. Uh, Kofi makes a good point on the episodes. I do not understand why, and, and we should also say they've already confirmed a season two. Both seasons are 12 episodes each, and they run, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kofi, but they're like 35 to 45 minutes each usually so far. I, they could double them up. Like, I don't know why it needs to be 12 weeks, or in this case, nine weeks if they do three episodes up front, but... Um, the pacing of this show—it's like there's a lot of chess pieces moving—and um, I find it very. Gripping. Oh, I'm muted. Sorry, oh, sorry. I was <laughs> saying
1: yes. You were—you were right. They're about 35 minutes, and then I was saying, and I was going in about yeah. We know why they're doing it this way, like yeah, you said, course, subscriber. It's the new game is for streaming, is because I have to follow all this crap. Is the hype and the buzz, and how long can you sustain social media relevance? And yeah. the weekly shows are killing it more so than the binge shows, even stranger things binged hard for that. And they tested it out with those arcs and stranger things like, but those little delays between those f- for those final episodes, yeah. you saw the social media buzz, but totally. then as soon as those final episodes came
2: like within a week or two, it's just like, You know, your
1: hashtag's gone. So,
2: yeah. And we can, without spoilers, we can say the first three or four episodes, like I think Kofi alluded to it, it is very. I don't know if you can spoil this show, dude. Like, that's what Uh, I like about it. I don't even know if you can really spoil it. It's a reverse spoiler, then. If you, if you, I try to avoid a lot of them. There was a lot of clips and trailers and featurettes for the show, of course, like there always is. I didn't really watch many of that, but the bits I did see had like some familiar characters from Rogue One and Stormtroopers and, and the familiar Empire stuff, Star Destroyers. In the first episodes, there's none of that. There's no member berries at all. And I love that because even Rogue One forced a lot of that in. And you saw the marketing materials. They had one new Rebel fighter and one new Imperial fighter because you got to sell that new Lego set for each side. In this, there's none of that. It's dark. It's dirty. It's gritty. You just look at it, and it could be any cool high-concept sci-fi thriller. You wouldn't even know it's Star Wars if you didn't know who this character was. On a world you'd never heard of before, right? It's not until you meet Mon Mothma through another character played by Stellan Starsguard that that you realize that so that's all to say this is this is my kind of Star Wars and you guys know like Rogue One is my favorite Disney era Star Wars I love that it actually felt like a war I love that it somehow introduced an all new ensemble but made all those characters memorable on top of having extras that, that felt I felt that they mattered when they took an L in battle whereas you watch some of the saga films and there's endless CGI explosions and people dying everywhere and I just don't care it, i felt like that did a more effective job and part of it is because it gives you it gives you that grounded level perspective at how it affects people and that's what this is really about so far it's like and i should also say the from the opening shot it looks like you're watching like a blade runner show and then there, then you get to the 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 main sort of planet or location for the first couple episodes and man it's just shot so well it's a whole different level of cinematography to me it's the first like It is the first premium or prestige live-action programming Disney Plus has brought us outside of the National Geographic stuff. The rest of it is pulpy. I always say 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 content, Marvel and Star Wars combined. This shit actually can compete against the best of what we're seeing now on Amazon and HBO Max and Netflix, finally, um and I and I love that. But yeah, but back to the people part of it. This is this is sort of like a, a finally you get away from the lightsabers and the Jedi temples of Star Wars Rebels and all the colorful shit. This is like, you know, uh, at the verge of a galactic scale war, how it affects regular people, how it affects everything, the economy to the lifestyle, the the politics behind that, which is you can make your game of Thrones comparisons there. Um, and what pushes these people or pushes the scale to bring people like that into such a conflict, like what does it take to start that? And that's what the first three or four episodes set up. Um, very much so to start that rebellion, you know, um, against such a, a crazy, unheard of force, right? Um, but production-wise, they use real locations for a lot of it—not all of it, but most of it—and uh, you can tell. And there's flashbacks showing you Cassian's youth as well, which use like big, cool set pieces and stuff. Um, and, and just visually, right off the bat, you'll see this in the first episode. Um, it's, it's, it's in stark contrast to what you see from Obi Wan Kenobi's, like lighting issues and weird cinematography and the shitty sets to everything you see in Bobo Fett, right? The costumes, the extras, the production design, everything. Uh, to even the goofy bits of Mandalorian and, and all the member berries it relies on. And Luke Skywalker's weird CGI face. Like, it, that stuff becomes laughable in comparison to what you're going to see in the first three three episodes of Andor, And that alone is a massive selling point. Um, so yeah, um, I think it took way too long for Lucasfilm and Disney Plus to get here in terms of quality, but they're here now. And I hope as they push further into like what we are more familiar with from the OG trilogy area, era and, and then the Rogue One stuff. And we see more familiar stuff, the Stormtroopers, the Star Destroyers, and all the usual stuff. I hope it can maintain that um, character level look. Uh, because I should also say, like, outside of, like, uh, you know, Dagoluna Luna and Stellan Skarsgård, this cast is, I think, for the mainstream, mostly unfamiliar. We know Genevieve O'Reilly, of course, because she's played Mon Motha before. So Star Wars fans will recognize that. But everyone else feels like just stage actors they found from around the world. And they give them time to shine. Even characters that would otherwise be just throwaway characters, they get they get time and they feel real. And I, I love that so much. It just it's so refreshing to see that. So oh, well, um, that's
1: my one criticism with the show that makes me really? feel like it is that takes me out of it is this is the most British ass Star Wars show I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, the there's the a couple original Mexican trilogy, actors that are like, beyond Diego Luna as well. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, there's some, there's, there's definitely some, yeah, but like virtually, and I'm not saying this is like a woke casting call. Uh, Adira, <laughs> Adira Arjona, is, uh, yeah, she's in this, um, you know, she's kind of like casting as weird quasi love interest or whatever. Uh, she was in Morbius most recently and True Detective yeah, and, and Six Underground and all that. But um, yeah, but I uh, no, but everybody in this is like, a clear like UK theater trained actor for the most part. Oh uh, like, yeah. All the bit parts are just like either Scottish or like English or Irish or, like, or British percent Irish yeah, British. No. You're like, yeah, And it's just like, and I was like, man, there's a lot of <laughs> UK accents in this. And, was, and it didn't bother me. I was just was like, this is the most British star. Wars <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> At least for that one planet. Anyways, we'll see what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. But I, I dug it. I think it worked. Cause they, you know, even how they dress them in their costumes and like, man, it's, I, I, Called this out a lot when watching Obi Wan, or especially Boba Fett, they're worse for it. When you watch the extras and they're overly clean, like made that day costumes, like spirit Halloween costumes almost, <laughs> like you watch this and they're like grimy, and dirty, and they feel real. And you look at the extras in a shot, and I, I don't know why I focus on this so much, but you can see all the shit the 100 people are doing on set. And they're all doing something meaningful. They're fixing something. They're actually carrying something and struggling. They all have a purpose, they're not just standing there in pristine clothing, looking all weird all the time. And you know what I mean? They are. Again, it just feels so lived in, and that's that's it's, it takes me back to like the classic Star Wars, and I think that's what this franchise really, really needed, because that's what we're seeing, again, from the other premium TV. But uh, one more point uh, on the um, – I know Kofi delves into the Tony Gilroy part of it. Uh, he writes a bunch of the episodes, and his brother Dan Gilroy also writes a bunch of them. So the first three or four you're going to see are mostly them, but the other two writers who do three or four episodes, uh, Bo Willeman and Steven Schiff, I, I want to call this out because they wrote – House of Cards, uh, the, the, the better seasons, but also, to me, one of the greatest shows ever made, The Americans. So that's the vibe you're getting. You're getting the Gilroy stuff plus The Americans. So it, it really much is that real person espionage stuff, which is awesome. And they have assembled such an amazing team. So I am I am totally here for the Gilroy uh, Star Wars universe, and I hope they can keep doing more after this. So, Ben, I'm very curious what you're going to think when this thing comes out tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it, uh, I mean, it sounds like I mean, it sounds right up my alley. I like you think Rogue One is by far the best Disney era Star Wars film, and um, probably one of the best things that they have put out. Period. Uh, yeah, so far, so. I uh I'm I'm very excited to check it out. It's funny though cuz like I was out of the three of us I think I was probably the least interested in this just because I don't know if like and- Andor just wasn't a character that I got all that invested in in Rogue One and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if it's because you know there was sort of this like love story at the center of Rogue One. That was one of the things that was the probably the least interesting to me about that film, but so seeing him that character just like didn't grab me as much as other characters that were part of that, that production. So I'm excited to be able to go back and unpack his backstory more and kind of understand a bit better of how he got to where he was and, and see. Oh man, that's crazy. He
1: oh, you, he I, he was, that's crazy. Yeah. Andor was one of the best parts of that movie, like his whole, and that's why I'm glad they, they took, they selected him. Like, The the whole thing about having about Cassian Andor, which was made him more than a Han Solo clone, was this dude had been through the shit and was a was a legit hardcore spy. And that first scene with him is still so chilling when he gets the information about the Death Star from dude, and they know the troopers are coming. And he just looks around and just smokes
2: that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, that's that's it. That's why. Oh man, I was so lucky and fortunate. Like I, I did one Disney era Star Wars movie junkie, and it was for this, for Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And I was like the kind of the theme of talking to everyone. It's like, hey, this is the first time you're looking at the Rebels and the war as not this black and white thing. It's like this is the gray area. Like there are there are people doing bad things for what they think are the right reasons, both sides. And the Andor is a great example of that. Like the shit he goes through all throughout Rogue One, and now we're getting to see like the beginnings of that and some examples of that early on. So it's awesome. One thing we haven't talked about. Um for you fans of droids out there, this is I think this this might have the best Star Wars droid or one of the best ones. Uh B2 Emo. Really friggin' cool, uh practical, funny ass droid. Um that doesn't, you know, annoy me. So uh good on them. That's a, a standout character. Find the droid merch, I'd actually buy from this franchise.
0: So when you guys are talking about like this, you know, your feelings about and or from Rogue One. Um I am like I'm curious to unpack that a little bit more. So like the version of him that we're seeing in Andor is that version as like sort of cynical and
1: you have to see the first opening scene and that'll answer pretty much all your questions within (laughs) the first scene. They answer all your questions pretty much within the first scene because it is, it is a very tightly compact story. Like it's literally like something happens and they're, in the beginning, and then you're hitting the ground running, and it's a snowballing effect. Yeah. This one action causes these other things to happen, and he is very much at the center of it. But, yeah, he's still very much that guy, and they in that first scene very much is meant to kind of harmonize with the very first time you meet him in Rogue One, so that you (laughs) understand, like, this guy is just a scrappy survivor, but he will do what the fuck is necessary to, like, survive. And and to get things done. Um, And so that's kind of where you start out. And, you know, you see that most of the first episode is just kind of showing you him as like a talking, like a hustler, like a street hustler, like trying to deal with some stuff and like how he maneuvers and does that stuff. And you see why this guy would
2: be clearly a good spy. Um, Yeah. um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, you, you are, to, to make to your point, what you just said, Ben, uh, you brought up the Han Solo comparisons. I think you're going to see a lot of that here as well because you're going to see, in Kofi was saying this, like after that first scene, you're going to see he's kind of a slimy dude. He's got a lot of debts, but still has some very trusty, loyal friends sort of thing. Um, and they, again, they, they use flashbacks to kind of delve into his history of how he got to where he is. Um, but yeah, I, I won't go too much beyond that. But I think he's definitely at a position at the beginning, the first act of this season one is, He's just looking for guidance and a way out sort of thing, I guess. Um, and again, this is putting him on that path sort of.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, what you're saying about rogue one, that is certainly one of the aspects of his character that was more like, was most interesting to me is how he kind of defied the idea of being like, you know, they're the rebels and stuff, but he sort of defied that idea as being kind of cold blooded and, and like true deep state spy kind of character. Like I, I, I acknowledge that that is an interesting aspect of his character from Rogue One. I just like where it goes by the end. I don't know. I just was I wasn't as drawn to that character as some of the others. Maybe I was just you know like uh, distracted by cool robots and Jin or so or something. But um, I, I like if this is a story about like the seedier side of you know the Rebel Alliance or something. That is uh, that is definitely exciting. Well, too.
1: I think what people underestimate also, which is my favorite. I think for me the a lot of the culmination for me of rogue one and the best parts of it are in the end of the second act where they catch up with Jen's dad. Yeah. Um, Galen or so. And because what was always interesting to me about Cassian Andor is you see him as a spy and he's very disarming in a way. And Diego Lunak is very good about doing this. He did it in Narcos and he does it in this about being kind of a morally, you know, tenuous guy who's still kind of quiet, who's charming without having to put effort into it. Like he's very funny and charming and stuff like that. But those are things a spy does. Right. And like the thing about Rogue One is how he gets all these people together and gets Jin Erso to kind of do what he wants, knowing the entire time he's supposed to smoke her like her dad. And (laughs) that thing for him when he sets up on the ridge and doesn't kill him is like a big turning point for him as a character but before because before that you know like yeah this (laughs) guy would have definitely taken the shot so that was what was kind of like really like we call it a love story but it was what i like about about rogue one is is i like the complicated love stories like i like the love stories that only end in like one kiss and not like a kiss like now we're gonna go home and do it and be happy ever after it's like well we had a lot of connection but we're gonna die now so let's just you know we'll get one in for that um and so, like, yeah, because the, it was a complicated story. It wasn't just love, like at first sight. Like he was using her. He was gonna kill her dad. And so, like, yeah. that's what I love about Cassian Andor, man. It, it's yeah. the it's Cassian Andor is basically somebody at Star Wars saying, you know what, the Greedo shot first thing is something we it's should not been. have lost in this franchise. Like in those characters, True. Like, yeah. Let's bring it back. And you know, you are saying the Han shot first, like, yeah, oh uh, yeah, but yeah, I am yeah, saying yeah, the whole debate. About who Yeah Because yeah. they changed it To making sure that Because Han was too heroic After that And so yeah. Greedo had to shoot first And it was like Nah man The thing about Han Solo That's dope Is that he is He uh, would shoot that back. Yeah He would shoot yeah. that guy
2: <laughs> Cassian for sure would Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Easy mode Um That's funny It's funny in Rogue One Looking back Especially that opening scene Like he's such a veteran spy In, in this he's not At all So um and Knowing that like, There's so much runway ahead Um as he gets there and like, I'm very curious what season two does like a season two, he's already in it to win it and the rebellion's going and he's doing missions or something. Or is he still on his way probably, there's a lot of episodes to get there. So, um, it's also excited.
1: kind of like a doomed fuck tale because based on that monologue <laughs> he has with Jin and rogue one, you know, a lot of these supporting characters ain't going to make it to the finish. Oh mode. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the,
0: uh, yeah. um, so what was the, what was the droid that you were saying was, Oh, his name is B two emo, and he's
2: all like fucked up and barely works. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but he's like he he, he loves it. Uh, wants it's to basically <laughs> like a weird old trash can style droid.
1: Yeah. Like he's just okay. like a rolling trash can, but he has top. But he is really good. It's funny. Yeah, um, it's funny. but you I can see like why. But that's the thing. Like they do a good job of showing you a lot of the threads of why Cassie and Andor will be the person you see in in Andor or in Rogue One you can believe because K2SO probably reminds him of this okay. little kind of bucket droid he grew up with. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of interesting things that you learn about. We haven't talked about it and I don't think it's a big thing, like we said, but there's a lot of things that you, they really do kind of open up his origin to be more than you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. And like, mm, there is an element of book of Boba fetishness, bad fetishness about it that they
2: kind of work in, but it's interesting in this one. Like it's Super kind awesome. of seeing, you mean, exactly. you mean, sorry, without saying it, Kofi, are you saying like the motivating factor for Cassian that no one's talked about yet? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Gotcha. So just, okay, well, actually, just
1: seeing those parts of his life
0: and kind of getting his more of his like, actual yeah. backstory.
1: Right. Right. Like, yeah.
0: So yeah. I actually had a question about that. Like, I was kind of curious, like, is this, do you guys feel like, you know, we're going to get, we're gonna get you know like six episodes deep in this thing, or like you know seven or eight episodes deep, and then suddenly we're gonna get you know like a I don't know like in a you know I, I don't know just some kind of cameo or something that oh like, hell yeah I mean there's
2: hey, there in the marketing there already is one right um, oh I forget who was that I didn't watch uh,
1: any of the marketing. I watched the one like I think I watched both trailers once when they came. Well, out.
0: there's I don't, yeah, I I know of one recurring character that is in it. Um, who is that? I mean, um, Saw Guerrero is in it. Oh, oh Saw Gerrera, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, but yeah, uh, we'll see. Saw Gerrera.
1: I I wouldn't mean. I mean, in this era, you can do things like you can do like a crazy Han Solo thing, like or just there's a lot of yeah,
0: people like who you could. There's a lot of people you don't you need it. Kind of, I would, you I would,
2: don't know. Yeah.
0: Um, I kind of yeah I was just sort of wondering if like going into this like Tony Gilroy is like I'm not doing that like I'm going to tell this sort of intimate story like we're not bringing in I
2: I think because honestly these guys were absolute fixers on Rogue One and somehow despite everything they made such an incredible to me an incredible film like you can see bits of it that are a little messy but like on the whole it was pretty amazing what they pulled together given the timeline and how they had to fix that up from Edwards Um, I think they I would hope they were given permission given this era and it's a very restricted timeline, they can do whatever they want within it. And I think you see that in the first episode it's the fact that it's not full of merchandise in the first four episodes to me speaks volumes. There yeah. are some
1: clever people I would love to see worked in like Chelly Afra. I would love to see worked in anybody that Cassian would have to go into like the underworld to deal with shady types. Anybody like black Horsantan, uh Boba Fett, uh, Dr. Afra, like all of these are kind of shady operators that, you could conceivably – that's why, I mean, you put Han Solo in I, or just any of those other iconic, weird bounty hunter people. Like, you know, I don't need them, but they are people who
2: conceivably would fit into this world. Okay, like what I'll, I'll, give one, I'll give you one – I'll give you – I'll accept one more Ma- oh. cameo. <laughs> no, I don't want to see any goddamn temples or lightsabers. Fuck that or shit. Kira no. or um, – um Kira, yeah. Kira's another one. Like, yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. I, I think, Ben, to be honest, point? I think you're going to see more nuanced cameos when it comes to the. There's a lot of politics in the show, of course, right? Because it's, it's setting up the rebellion, and it doesn't just mean on the ground with this mission they're about to set up. It's the Mon Mothman part of it, right? Yeah. Behind the scenes. Right. And so you're going to yeah. see the Senate, and you're going to see a politician. So you might see some familiar faces there from that era, right? Um, but I, I hope it's not just in your face, you know, craziness that we're accustomed to from Star Wars, right? Yeah. I really hope and they that's really. really- that's another interesting part of it that comes in later
1: in the episodes we got to screen, which is, you know, post Revenge of the Sith Coruscant and like, what is that like?
2: Yeah. and There's a tease of it.
1: It's pretty cool. Yeah. and And they raise – and they nail the interesting philosophical quandaries like, yeah, all these people are now sitting here still in this luxurious planet that has clearly now shifted under a – you know, the rule of an emperor. So – it's all kind of – uh yeah, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean in that side of the story like Rob alludes to, there is room for some really well-chosen cameos. Like yeah, you don't need – you can get through this without a lightsaber. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Uh, this is the closest, giant, thing, yeah. closest thing to Game of Thrones, Star Wars, right? Where there's potentially these big pieces moving behind the scenes slowly and it's all just dialogue driven, right? And there's a through line of this mission going to happen or, or missions. We don't know yet but um, – it's reliant on a few people doing very specific espionage things, not gigantic battlefields, you know, not yet anyways. So,
0: yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for that. I, we've long talked about how big this universe is. And I I asked the question because I'm hoping that they steer clear of, at least for season one, they steer clear of like trying to tether things together too much. And they, it's fine to have Mon Mothma in there. It's fine to have Sagarera in there. But, you know, if I, I, I don't know that I need to see Han Solo yet, or I need to see, you know, like princess Leia or something yet. Like I, I want something that's more it, self-contained. I feel like I was going to say
2: if, I mean, it's 24 episodes, which seems like a lot, but it's really not the way it's handled so far in terms of like pacing in the episode link. But right. if this was a type of show where they could do like your week to week going on missions, the last two or three episodes, you could do like one mission or one story arc where you throw in a very familiar character from the games or movies and they, they have a special talent or they're a Jedi or something, you know what I mean? But otherwise it seems like a, there's a very clear, larger through line with like minimal subplots that support it. So I I don't think they have room to kind of mess around like that. I think, I think this is very focused so far. Again, we have no idea. This is all very first act stuff we're talking about Kofi and I, but um, so far it's very like it stands on its own and it's like really setting up the backbone of the, the Senate stuff, it's sort of bringing forward all the politics and stuff from the, from the prequel trilogy into explaining with the OG trilogy, which is nice. It's a good, it's a really good connective thread. So
0: yeah, that's cool.
2: Yeah. I will say
1: I'm not as confident as Rob. I mean, I, I very much agree with Rob in my assessment of the show, but I'm not as confident that this is going to connect because I think you're going to weirdly see even the people who complain about like green screen, star Wars TV and all the, (laughs) you know, cheesy flares that go with it they're gonna be what you're gonna hear is like this complete reversal which is that this is too boring and not fun enough like those star wars shows you know Ugh. you'd rather have the cheese instead of like just being bored and all that stuff you're gonna hear the boredom word thrown around a lot because <laughs> like i said but that's always tony gilroy like some people watch michael clayton and are like oh my god that was intense that was sh- that was the shit and some people watch michael clayton and were are like what the fuck just happened? Like there's a bunch <laughs> of lawyers had a talk and then a car bomb went off and I don't know what's happening anymore. Yeah. So like, I'm kind of interested to see like what the reaction is. But um, I mean, I want my star Wars to
2: also be more like this. Same. I want some intelligence team. and conversation. You know what I mean? Let's build something. <laughs> yeah. Close to the, uh,
1: great screen. Kind of craziness of it. And even Darth Vader grabbing two red lightsabers, you know, which is awesome. But uh there is a lot more that did stick in my mind about this. And I don't – we haven't said a lot, but a big part of this show that's kind of boltering it is Stellan Skarsgård who can
2: – Yeah,
1: he surprised me actually how, how cool that character yeah, was. Who's playing a character who's really fucking cool because – I mean you've seen it in the trailers. So it's not a spoiler. But I mean this is a guy who is definitely – doing the whole wolf and sheep's clothing act for to get, you know, I won't, I won't tell you which side I'm not even gonna spoil it, but like he is masterfully almost like a Sith Lord in his own little way, (laughs) kind of able to change identities and, and be two different people. And I love that aspect of kind of Star Wars and and those kinds of characters, and so it is interesting to see a human guy who's
2: who's able to do that kind of stuff. That's it. And I was worried when they brought him in; that It was kind of like a stunt casting thing, like oh, here's the big name actor going to do his thing. But he's so different, and he stands out in the best way possible. I was so impressed by that. And and like to be truthfully told, maybe I'm just fanboying over these episodes, but I found this shit when I got the screeners Like, and I, I should say I also saw this a while ago. Like I saw this before the first junket, before the delay, and this was. And we're supposed to begin in August, like a month ago. Uh, I watched it in July Uh, and then it got delayed and they sent out the screeners again. So like I, this is not the most fresh in my memory, but when I watched this stuff, I was absolutely gripped to my screen. I was so in it. So um, it's a benefit watching three or four episodes back and back. So I I really hope that comes through when people get to watch three together um, because that experience was something
0: special. So yeah, that's cool. Awesome, but uh, you know there wasn't. I w- we said D twenty three happened. You know while we were while we were away, there wasn't like a lot there from like a Star Wars perspective, though, huh? Like, I mean, we um, we got a little bit more we, like Ahsoka. We got Ezra. we
1: got some we got Ezra. Yeah. We got a little first look at Ahsoka, Sabine, Ren. Um, we got a Bad Batch release date for season two. We got Tales mm-hmm. of the Jedi trailer, which was kind of a highlight for me because that looks yeah, like awesome. I thought it would be. Yeah, it looks really cool. Um, yeah. yeah, we got a new Andor trailer. Um, no movie news whatsoever. Yes. And no, Andor they canceled Rogue or
2: whatever it's called. Uh, Rogue oh, <laughs> right.
1: oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot has happened since D23. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah Cancelled Rogue Squadron. So that's not happening anymore. Um, we got the Mandalorian season three trailer finally released online, uh, which, you know, understandably, I mean, like I said, I, on my other podcast, the excellent comic book Nation, like I'm hyped for Mandalorian C3, but, but at this point it's just like built in, I don't need an epic trailer yeah. to get me there. So, um, yeah, no, I mean nothing too crazy. And I was kind of surprised that they didn't do more in terms of just like, I thought there's enough in the can that they could have put together an Ahsoka teaser just for like yeah. to get people like that could happen. But you know, you also got to remember that this is Disney and in these franchises and these franchise universes. one of the big kind of tricky things about it. And it's the same reason why there's an Ant-Man trailer that's been shown, but like we haven't had it online. It's just like, there's probably just shit coming up that they don't want to deal with. And the same reason you don't have Echo trailer release before you don't have before Daredevil's going to show up in She-Hulk, right? Like yeah. you just don't want to tip your hand about certain things because people, you know, you know, people like us who went nuts and putting together every little detail into fan theory pieces and stuff like that will will go nuts on your stuff. Um, so you got to be careful what you show. So yeah, uh, but I would like to see that Ahsoka trailer. I think that's a big one that could be super duper exciting in a lot of ways. And I was surprised they didn't announce like a next wave of star Wars TV or even T something like, I would have thought maybe Hayden Christensen would get like a Darth Vader like limited series or something like
2: that. Yeah. We just do something while they have him fresh. Yeah. Although at that Disney, whatever, whatever it was that investors showcase like a year ago, they announced like 10 or 11 shows at once. That's where they announced the rogue squadron thing with the Patty Jenkins live action commercial. But at that point, that's when they first announced like everything: Skeleton Crew, the Acolyte, and like a bunch of stuff we haven't even seen yet. So they they put out a, a messy or unclear roadmap for what could be like three or four years, maybe. And uh, I'll add one more tidbit: The Mandalorian season three was kind of delayed, right? It was supposed to come out at the end of the year, and now it's coming out February. But now, if you haven't noticed, they took away all the dates off their social media profiles. So I'm told it's in flux. So that that could be like I don't know, delayed more potentially, or maybe moved up. I don't know. So I feel like. They're still figuring shit out, but yeah, that Kofi's yeah. saying they don't want to advertise three projects ahead when they're still trying to focus on the now, right? So yeah, no, I mean like
1: Rob's, yeah, we got a I forgot. I mean, I forget how much is actually in production. Like yeah, the Acolyte and Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew is just some Amblin Entertainment shit. I think they can, <laughs> yeah,
2: push out. it's kids and Jude Law, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and then they can push that out like real easy. I think, but um, yeah, the Acolyte's a big one because that has to tie into the whole High Republic line that they're running and like all yeah, that. They're... So. Yeah, there's a lot of shit they got up in the air, but um, yeah, I mean, D23 was okay, but it wasn't like the greatest
2: sure. showcase of anything, but... Um, no, it was very minimal in Star Wars. They did have some Marvel stuff though, right? They kind of uh, at least unveiled the roster for Thunderbolts, which was kind of one of the bigger yeah, things.
1: Yeah, that was their little pizzazz moment. It was like the Thunderbolts.
2: Yeah.
0: And we're doing Thunderbolts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which... Hey
1: guys, you roster. want to see a bunch of people you've already seen together? Yeah. <laughs>
0: remember all those guys that were awesome supporting characters in all those movies that you guys like now they're together i'm actually happy the leader's back that's probably the most exciting thing they did yeah Um, that is cool in the incredible Hulk. yeah yeah that was yeah
2: yeah that was yeah yeah, no that's
0: they just keep pulling that movie more and more in the mcu like spotlight on between she-hulk and this
2: Tyler? what they're doing is they're
0: systematically going around and fixing like
1: every franchise they realize they fixed the world and they're like (laughs) No, seriously. Yeah. I mean, like now we're in a Hulk phase right now, like yep. between She-Hulk and like everything they're setting up with the leader and all that, Um an yeah. Abomination wherever he ends up. And then we're gonna, and then we're like, okay, once we get this Hulk shit sorted out, we're gonna fucking <laughs> fix the Iron Man side too. We're gonna get Iron Heart and <laughs> Armor Wars, and we're gonna yeah. fix all that shit. Somehow we're gonna lure Jeff Bridges's ass back in here, and we're gonna do something <laughs> like and just yeah
2: justin hammer everyone's going to come back yeah yeah
1: justin yeah. hammer they're going to get everybody like fixed up on that side and then we'll circle back around to like you know you know the rest i think that's everything though. No, no we'll have a yeah thor will be whatever the fuck that is now like you know <laughs> thor if they're going to keep making chris hemsworth's poor daughter keep working for marvel i don't know um <laughs> Then, yeah, then Captain America will have a new Captain America. Um, yeah, we could get all our Hulk shit figured out and
2: all our Iron Man shit figured out. Like, yeah, we'll be back at the beginning again, baby. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing yeah. they they were waiting on is the Shang-Chi sequel. They have not talked about yeah, that yet. No, nobody knows nothing about that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I yeah. have no idea what's happening with Shang-Chi. Um, yeah, man. But, uh, and, you know, oh, we also learned that uh, Ant-Man 3 will be a direct kind of connective lead into the Kang Dynasty, which mm-hmm. is interesting because Fantastic Four is a direct kind of lead into Secret Wars,
2: I believe, that was previously said. So, yeah. They also said of- Secret Invasion and Armor Wars are connected directly as well. Mm, yeah so
1: that's gonna be yeah and we saw that in a trailer oh the secret invasion trailer came out and that that's looks good. dope talk about cool espionage shit yeah there you, you go know, yeah, like a, a minute for that that looked really dope i think people have been yeah. sleeping on secret invasion because we everybody kind of was like ah eh, you know like you know everybody remember the big marvel comics event and Everybody thought it'd be an epic movie and all that shit and like then it's just a series with nick fury and everybody's like ah but like i mean that trailer looks cool dope man. As fuck. yeah just like the whole thing with Rhodey, like how well do you know your security guard or the kind of – they took a page out of uh, what was that movie? Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Book of Shadows or <laughs> Game of Shadows or whatever the fuck it was called
0: yeah, with Moriarty.
1: Yeah, um, yeah the restaurant scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Where they just have all the scrolls turn into scrolls, which is still a great scene, man. That was a really yeah. fucking great scene. Yeah, where uh, Irene Adler thinks she's safe. And then he's like, yeah, no, everybody in here works for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to do that to somebody in my life. I, I bring that up to my is to do that. Oh I, just could, oh, I just made some connection. That's a great idea. There you go. Nashville. Cuisine, uh, baby.
2: One other thing that, which we, we, we talked about being disappointed. This didn't come out of comic con was, um, they finally showcased and announced werewolf by night. It's all like black and white and very stylistic. So that's a, Especially presentation, shit out of people. It's close. been
1: hilarious to see people try to be it's like, weird. like, oh, oh yeah, like yeah. And people are, like, I
0: have no- <laughs> yeah. I've been about this. I yeah, time. from the yeah.
1: Simpsons. I have no idea what's happening. Like, yeah, man, yeah. thing. Like, you know, people on our side, we have some serious, like, hardcore Marvel fans on our side of comic book. And poor Adam Barnhart nearly fucking fell out during D twenty three, just <laughs> between scenes. Daredevil shit, and like, finally, he's been writing. M- This kid has been hard at work on man thing theories for like years. He's never he's never given up, and uh, he got his validation. Um, Yeah, he's type Uh, of shit. But it looks weird, and I think there's more than meets the eye. There's certain scenes with like TVA people
2: in there, so like you know. It's just going to get kind of crazy. Yeah. And there's always been rumors that there could be, you know, Blade and Moon Knight will show up here and there. So who knows what that's going to be, but I'm sure they'll fill it with cameos. Um, but you just alluded to the biggest thing. One of the biggest things is they officially finally announced Daredevil born again. So finally getting his own show under the, uh, MCU umbrella with of course, Vincent D'Onofrio's back as well as the Kingpin. So, um, timed perfectly with his introduction in she Hulk. So, uh, Yeah, that's exciting cuz like to me Charlie Cox still like top 2 MCU castings of all time. So, uh very excited for that. So,
0: next to Jeremy Renner
2: is that Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um yeah, Charlie Cox deserves it, he's going to be great. Um He's amazing. Yeah, and then yeah, Thunderbolts, baby. Mhm. Yeah, we're getting a Florence Pugh. She was off handling that. Don't worry, darling. She wasn't worried. She's got that Marvel money coming up. Mich- <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's why she's not I know strutting around holding a fucking oh, yeah. cocktail. She's like, got, <laughs> got <that> Thunderbolts money. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, so she's know.
1: got her Thunderbolts money. Um, but they were surprised. <laughs> I didn't have any inkling that they were going to throw Sebastian Stan in that shit, but that was that was cool. weird. Yeah, that was kind of weird. But they um, need something to do with him. I mean, Anthony Mackie's getting a movie. He needs a
2: movie. He's probably like yeah. Mackie. I just gets figured a movie. he was going to be in that. You know, as a supporting character for for uh, what's it called New World Order. I thought he was just going to be a. I just associate him with the cat movies, you know. So I figured he'd be a supporting character in that. But maybe he will yeah. still. Who knows? But uh, uh, no, you think the Thunderbolts? It's almost like their version of like the Dark Avengers. The way they're setting it up, but there's no, there's no Hawkeye. I, I was hoping to see some. uh find a way to get Kate Bishop in there somehow, but
0: not happening, I oh. guess she's not
2: a
1: no, uh, taskmaster not can early. work that bow.
0: That's true. Yeah, Taskmaster
1: to, uh, can fuck, fuck up a bow. Like it's all good. That's true.
0: Man. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to do much with taskmaster and that show of like kind of unpacking what they did to her in, <laughs> in, in black Ooh, widow. My favorite
1: was just seeing uh, cause. I was on the Thunderbolts article and when it happened and the first thing that happened was Marvel took all these kind of like promo shots. Right. Of right, cast right. members and those leaked, you know, obviously it was leaked out yeah. like in of a course. second. So <laughs> yeah. we, we had those. Out. Yeah. yeah, we had those. And so like I was writing it up naturally. You guys know how this game goes. And like I was working <laughs> from the photo and, it was just one of those things we have enough fucking people who move so fast in comic book. Shout out to everybody on comic book um, that somebody like actually was like, whoa, 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 whoa!" don't hit that button. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, what? And they were like, OK, here's like the deal. This is a photo. It leaked like this is not this may not be the full thing that we had. But I had just like put up this article. Luckily, I'm a pro at this. So I had worded it in a way that still somehow predicted that Florence Pugh would still be in this movie that she was not in a photo for. That's me. I do this. Um, hey, well done. But, um, I had to get in there with the Taskmaster because I was like, "Holy shit!" Because the concept art, you know, dropped, and it was like Taskmaster, and they announced it and did all that, and I was just like, "Well, I did not have that on my bingo card, so you know, yeah. I had to revise that part." <laughs> but uh, yeah, because I was just like, "Wow, you guys really are just signing up for the hard tour. You really, <laughs> yeah. to Marvel fans, okay." Uh,
0: let's but, uh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's great, but no, I mean, but it's a good lineup. I had this discussion again on the excellent uh, comic book nation show as well. But it's a good mix of kind of like espionage people and special skill people, and of course a powerhouse. And it's very a, black widow. Other
2: half the rosters from that film. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, because I mean, people love that dynamic, so they were like, you know, what we could do again. Part of that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, um, David Harbour in there. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the other big surprise, right? Like, I had no yeah. idea Harbour was going to be fucking in there. But uh, he's the powerhouse, because we were wondering, they needed, like, a powerhouse Hulk or super soldier, and then you got yeah. a couple super soldiers in there. You got a couple, you know, slash assassins, uh, thieves, or, you know, espionage types like Ghost, um, and, you know, Taskmaster can kind of jack-of-all-trades.
2: It's a good little so ghost little team. Ghost is a weird one, right? Because it's like, you know, I'm sure you guys covered it too. But we were talking about that because when, if, if you follow the timeline of how like Ant-Man and the Wasp ends, and they have to kind of go into the quantum realm to get the stuff she needs to control her powers and survive, and then poor Ant-Man gets stuck in there during the snap. It's so like, yeah. no one. how are they going to explain how she got her shit and survived those five years and she's just here now? So I'm very curious if they're going to delve into the backstories of all the different – I can't sure they remember because like,
1: there's I – I feel like – and don't quote me on this, but I feel like somewhere in the interviews or something like I think even Hannah John Kramer might have been like alluded to the fact that like – you know, she just has found some way to like stabilize her powers or control, them. oh, maybe I know I know yeah, she said she's yeah.
2: coming back or she's yeah she can come I forget yeah, yeah. there's been yeah. so
1: much to absorb, but, um, yeah, I can't remember, but I feel like they just kind of alluded to the fact that like but
2: definitely I don't think cool gonna her power on
1: that. Set. like uh, yeah, yeah, but she will just be like a cool yeah, thief yeah. character, like, yeah, just like in the book, so and ghost was one of the kind of coolest characters in the book, so. Yeah, yeah. That would be that's going to be dope, but um, yeah, I'm interested to see what they're doing. with Thunderbolts and somewhere in this mix
2: is Julia Louis Dreyfus, just <laughs> yeah. kind of like suiting know. up. I guess she's like in that photo, like she's going on a mission. So yeah, um, I don't know. We'll see.
1: She'll walk down a green screen hallway and squeeze off a few triggers. I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah she's cool. JLD doesn't need to do much, right? Like she's she has. Ugh and what Seinfeld money if you oh oh she doesn't even want to touch that she's got that new adventures of Christine money oh wait we don't even she want to touch veep. that money it looks nice and dusty and official so we'll just do that veep money for a while and will oh, be like, so yeah. good so like yeah. yeah she doesn't have to do nothing she doesn't want to um yeah so <laughs> yeah. yeah that was um, interesting
0: do you guys want to talk about a couple of things that we've all checked out recently yeah from, out. like you guys it's each have seen yeah, you guys have each seen something interesting. I saw "Don't Worry, Darling." Kofi, you saw "Blonde," and Rob, you saw what? Oh, well, I saw with my controller fingers "Modern Warfare 2" oh, right, beta, right, right, but right, also right. I watched all this. <laughs>
2: that's right. Yeah, that's right. Between you all three of us, it. we are ready to talk <laughs> about the plight
1: of very, very. Hard up white people, let's do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, why don't? uh, Well, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, Yeah. I'll go first. So yeah, I'm fresh out of seeing. Don't worry, darling. Last night, this is uh, Olivia Wilde's, you know, sophomore film after uh, after Booksmart, which was a movie that I think we all, you know, really enjoyed. um, If I if I remember correctly. Um, Oh yeah, but. Like, yep. how, yeah, I love that movie. So, you well, know, she's trying to do something about
1: movie. that at all. But yes, yes, you're right. But I don't think we ever. Yeah,
0: about I feel that. like I feel like maybe we exchanged tweets like we were doing Booksmart gifts at one point or something like three years ago, I feel like. But I feel or I saw you tweeting about her. But I know Rob and I had uh, had liked it because we were we ended up talking about it at one point. But um, so this is the notorious, you know, sophomore follow up for uh, for Olivia Wilde that initially starred Shia LaBeouf. Um, and Florence Pugh, but then Shia LaBeouf was booted off set because of, you know, his sort of method acting, weird onset stuff. He, uh, Olivia Wilde, you know, basically straight up said that he was fired and he sort of denied that and blah, 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 back and forth. Harry Styles then was recast, um, in this role, uh, in the role of Jack. And then, you know, recent drama, allegedly there was drama between you know florence Pugh and olivia wilde on set and then harry styles allegedly spit on chris pine so <laughs> there's there's a whole bunch of just like ridiculous drama around this film um most of which which sounds like relatively overblown forgot. oh the- man
1: you were just you were just skip over yeah oh my god you're like yeah there's there's suspicions about why Harry Styles was brought in, because he and Liver uh, Liv right, right. while got together, together. And then, then yeah, there and was rumors that she more got money. with him. Yeah.
2: And on yeah, set they, during COVID, they were delaying shots allegedly because they're always yeah. off doing their thing. And it's like, you yeah. know, and then obviously there's the whole shy of the buff factor before that. So there's a little crazy yeah. stuff.
1: And there's there's rumors and always been, you know, dirty speculation that her getting with Harry Styles was you know, broke Ted Lasso and sent him to Europe and and all that. And so then she got (laughs) served papers at Comic-Con.
2: CinemaCon stage, baby. That's
1: right. (laughs) Yo, bro. (laughs) All I (laughs) say is like, all we've been saying is like everybody talked to about this is, yeah, yeah. I'm going to see this movie. I mean, at the end, I do want to see it. But, uh, what I really want to fucking see is like five years from now, I want to see the FX docu-series about making, yeah. like fx on hulu docuseries about making don't worry don't darling because just be like yeah. worry
0: darling <laughs> like yeah. i have a feeling i have a feeling that like that more people might end up seeing that than they will uh oh that's what i'm saying like, like i think
1: it's definitely gonna be great oh man somebody get yeah. the rights to that now like now it's gonna be great it's yeah everything so, and you need to docu-series
0: don't try to make a movie the final film itself, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that I could say about it. And I want to avoid spoilers because I do think that seeing the movie for all of its twists and turns, um, is probably like the main joy of the film outside of Florence Pugh's performance. Like she's, she's phenomenal in it as she is in a lot of the roles that, you know, she's been in like Midsummer and everything. Um, she gives a great, great, great performance and it's a real showcase for her. Um, And just kind of this, like, like her trying to kind of come to grips with like what's happening around her is, is interesting. And there's some, there's some interesting like cinematography and visual storytelling and audio cues and things that, that, you know, are layered in, in a way where you can tell that like Wilde was trying to do something dynamic and interesting with this film. Um, But I think by the end, a lot of people, especially like, you know, movie fans who've seen a lot of kind of like psychological thriller type, what's actually going on here type movies, like we'll kind of find by the end of this one that like what is actually going on is probably not as interesting as any of their theories were about it. And I think that is maybe one of the main problems with the movie is that there's kind of an opportunity where, Wilde could have probably like revealed that earlier on in the film and kind of then gotten to explore a bit more of like what is actually happening and how that like what that means for the characters that exist in this in this world and stuff like that. Um, but instead, it's like that's it. what the final reveal is really held, you know, pretty, pretty solid towards the end of the movie and there's a lot that's thrown in kind of at the end about different characters and and their relationship to what's happening that i i think for all intents and purposes would have been a lot more interesting if it if, if that card had been played much earlier and then you kind of were left with why some of these people are involved in in this thing. So it you know like i think people will enjoy watching it like it's a movie that like i could watch once and appreciate Pew's performance and some of the artistry that's going into it. I do think it's operating at a higher level than some critics are giving it maybe credit for, but it's overall execution is still below what I would kind of expect coming off of like, you know, Booksmart being just so good and so solid and so well executed. Like, I don't know. I I, I want to be able to talk spoilers because I think like the spoilers are what like being able to talk spoilers and, you know, maybe we'll do that in a month or something like that. If, if one of you guys end up checking it out, um, it's like, it is the problem is the central premise of the movie. Kind of like when that is revealed, it just, I don't know that it, it can be taken as seriously as, as wild as taking it. And, and like I said, I think if it had been revealed earlier, then maybe it wouldn't feel like as big of a thing. And you could have actually dealt with the characters and that would have been more interesting. But if you're holding all that back for this big reveal, the big reveal is kind of just sort of weird and, and not as uh, not as exciting or not as like unique as, as I think a lot of people might be expecting. And at the end, it's just kind of a patchwork of like pastiches from kind of similar movies, I would say. Um, and she's like wild has made some comments on like what inspired the movie. And I think once you've seen the movie, it's like very clear what inspired it and like the idea behind it and why she would, want to, to kind of have this be something different than after having done Booksmart. But I looked over at my friend who I saw with after uh, after the movie was over, and I was like, this is the kind of concept that is just like better on paper. Like if you handed someone this script, they'd be like, that's amazing. But like, how are you ever going to do that in a way that is that like isn't weird or hokey or something? And I think they don't quite stick the landing Um, by the end of by the end of the movie and so i was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at a few of the the kind of final reveals and that really sucked some of the joy out of it um for me but like pew really is great i think harry harry styles like absolutely underwhelms in this movie too so like i know that's probably going to be upsetting to people who are harry styles fans but this like did not add to my enthusiasm to see him join the marvel universe or you know really like become a big thing in Hollywood because his, I mean, Pew just like walks all over him in this movie as does pretty much every single other person that he's in a scene with. Like Chris Pine is is stealing scenes and um, I'm forgetting who else is like, uh, who else is that? Oh, Nick Kroll is like stealing scenes from, from Harry Styles. Like you have Nick Kroll in your movie and like, I mean, he's funny and everything, but you know, if he's out acting you, it's kind of like, you know, and you're supposed to be the big star of this film. Like I I just don't this did not like make me give me a lot of hope that like Harry Styles is gonna be someone that I should be keeping an eye on. Um, well this
1: you know, your commentary and hate reminds me, you know, to both put you in perspective and celebrate one piece of news that we did get this week. Um, whatever you know, you say he's bad as he is, I have failed to believe of that he is as bad as uh, Gavin Rosdale was was in the original Keanu Reeves, Constantine, Constantine, which is coming back for another movie, baby, since we've been yeah. gone. We did get <laughs> one big motherfucking win,
0: Constantine, Constantine, bitches. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. That is pretty exciting. Against um, all but, odds, too, we should say. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Zach, <laughs>
2: my man. Jeez, oh, yeah. Man.
0: But, uh yeah, I mean, that's, you know, like, I'm not trying to, like, shit all over don't worry darling but it's like you know hearing all the behind the scenes just like mess and then seeing the movie it's like i kind of get it like i sort of get that it just seems like maybe this was out of control kind of from the beginning and you know she was trying to pull it all together and she pulled it into something that that is entertaining to watch once i think and i do think pew is going to get a lot of uh you know like people are going to view this as like a really powerful performance by her but man, a lot of other people from kind of production on down, like I think kind of failed, um, failed this concept. So, but, uh, I'm curious if, you know, when you guys end up going and see it, we can maybe talk some spoilers because there are some interesting ideas in it. And I will say that one of my last thing that I will say is it kind of deals with the idea of like, you know, how people can get kind of get sucked into like, like a, like a cult. And I'm not saying that this is a cult, um, but like kind of a cult of personality or can be corrupted by ideas and, and maybe that be sort of a contributing factor to why like the country is so divided and stuff. Now it's like, this dabbles a little bit in that in an interesting way. And I think, um, I think that part of it does kind of work seeing people who are trying to search for meaning in their lives. Um, how susceptible they are to being pulled into something that maybe isn't, uh, isn't totally above board. Um, and I think it, I think it does handle that piece of the story well, but it's like where it goes from there is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite go there with it, but, um, okay. So we do in blonde or Elvis next. Uh, you can go with blonde to Kofi ladies first, ladies first. So all right, all right, I got God. to, uh,
1: Screen the movie Blonde, um, which is coming to Netflix, starring Anna Day Armas as Marilyn Monroe and uh Norma Jean Ray and yeah, slash Marilyn Monroe, and uh, directed by Andrew Dominic, who low key has become like one of my favorite directors. I, I actually did not know until I was researching more about the movie that I how much I actually really love this man's work he did the assassination of jesse james by the coward oh, Robert Ford. I
0: love that movie love that movie and the soundtrack and the soundtrack. yeah oh yeah great soundtrack
1: and um and killing killing them softly with brad pitt all right um yep. and like yeah and so he works with brad pitt who's a big kind of supporter of his through his plan b entertainment um and is involved in this movie And i tweeted this out and, you know, I'll say this again. I kind of messed up my tweet because there's no fucking edit button. Fuck you, Twitter. Anyway, (laughs) like there is what Andrew Dominic does is he's very kind of, like I said, storytellers, I mean, like usually get one story they're telling and they just do it in a variety of ways. Andrew Dominic's story is kind of like looking at iconography of things and the in his kind of almost cynical not cynical but like kind of almost like the absurdity he sees in icon in american specifically american iconography versus the reality of the thing behind the iconography right. um and so that's what the assassination of Jesse James is really about it's about a man who kind of gets to know Jesse James becomes so disillusioned with the man Jesse James actually is, as opposed to the legend he is aspiring to being that he thinks he's doing a good thing by like killing the man. All of this is in, in the title, by the way. So none of this is a spoiler. Don't come out. I mean, so, um and then has to learn like the horrible curse of like what iconography, how powerful it is. Like, even though he knows this man was like a shitty person, like, and like really fucked up because he was such an icon, he has to live now the rest of his life in the shadow of killing this icon. Right. And that's the story of that, that, that tells over like three hours. But, um, killing them softly is conversely like his, a more political movie. It's about kind of American capitalism And the American drive, you know, that we instill to like, you got to get it by any means, right? Like that hunger, that drive, and how fucked up that can make things right. And, you know, it's this thing that we celebrate as being the strength of America. And in a time where it's a kind of cynical look, it was the Obama eras, right? And so it was like, there's a lot of that playing throughout the movie about when we're talking about hope and change and coming together. And that movie says "Nah, fuck that at the end of the day, America is a business and that's literally a line in the last scene of that movie which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie back brad pitt like america's yeah. a fucking business he plays this basically this middle management hitman who just goes around and collects and deals with the shit right that the boss is to deal with yeah <laughs> um and so he's just like yeah america's a fucking business and that's what it is and so like that's what that movie's about it's about the icon, like how we continuously, in different ways, different phases of politics and society, try to pump up America thing, but like at the end of the day, it's this kind of cutthroat business. They're like, you got to get yours before the other person does. Kind of kill or be killed thing. Um, anyway, that's a long preamble to say I want people to understand what blonde is, and I'm going to campaign for it because what I tweeted out is Andrew Dominic doesn't move in like kind of linear fashion. And Jesse James is a perfect thing. He does this kind of like, he makes these kind of like weird dream, like state almost kind of portraits of a person of, of Jesse James of Marilyn Monroe, where you kind of move through these kind of surrealist episodes of their lives in these different scenes but it—it's it, this very kind of heightened reality. I don't think he believes in a biopic because a biopic's a weird thing, right? By the nature of trying to tell like a biopic in a two-hour movie, you're automatically creating an artificial shell of who this person was and what their life was, right? You're picking yeah. and choosing and shaving away the things. Andrew Tominek kind of, kind of like dreamily meanders through like memories and moments of their life and, and stuff like that to kind of create this portrait. And I mean, he takes nearly fucking three hours every time. So it's a lot of kind of meandering, but it's very interesting. And he's visually stunning and creative and plays with image and our familiar. And again, iconography, our familiarity with image in this movie, fucks with your head in a lot of ways like that, because Marilyn Monroe is such a public icon there's so many pictures and moments and things that she's done that even if you're not like a Marilyn Monroe fan, if you've never watched one of her movies, you still know it's burned into your brain just because it's so embedded in American culture. Right. Um, and what this movie does is kind of plays with and uses, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Anna de Armas, who is this, you know, also actress who's exploding and kind of becoming a sex symbol and, You know, is on the magazine covers everywhere, is on social media. You know, I think my like Instagram suggestions are like 50% Anna De Armas at this point. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, they're just, she's her image is pumped everywhere. And so she, and people got kind of like, you know, people got all upset because she is a Latin actress and like playing Marilyn Monroe, but they're smart because there is little things about her, like when her accent comes out or, in like certain scenes and things like that, it, it's not Marilyn Monroe, but they're echoing. You know what I mean? Like right. what her experience was and who she was, and kind of you know, oh that breathlessness or like when she couldn't maintain the air of things. Um, and so it's very good, like that, and like visually stunning. And Anna De is amazing in it, just like Florence Pugh. Uh, it's going to be a fucking bitch of an. I'm oh. Like, oh man, that's such a terrible word choice. I'm sorry. It's going to be a bastard of a, of an Oscar race this year for best actress because like these ladies are really just killing it in some of these roles. And so, yeah, Anna Day Armis really does a great job as Norma Jean and slash Marilyn Monroe. But, um, it's a hard thing to describe, but like, just from the opening sequence, which is all her as a child and you know, the ways that we visually that Dominic can plays with like reality and the visualization of her mother being mentally ill and seeing like, an apartment on fire that only really she sees. And like, you think that this apartment's on fire and then you realize, Oh no, like this is just the mother being crazy. And like the neighbors are looking and they're like, what the hell? And there's nothing and like stuff like that. Um, Or just recreating pictures and moments from Marilyn Monroe's life, very publicized life, but make turning it around and making you really creeped out about like, you know, we see her getting out of the thing with the mink on and smiling and stuff and thinking like, Oh my God, this is glamorous. This is awesome. But like, it shows it from her perspective of just looking out a crowd of jeering men and like, you know, everybody just trying to see her and take pictures of her, or touch her and gripping that and how claustrophobic or anxiety inducing that is. And like, what does she really want in that moment? And kind of the context of who she is and what she wants in that moment. It's none of the, really the glamorous stuff. She just wants this ironically, like simple life. She wants to feel like she belongs in a family and make one and have children and settle down. But because she's a sex symbol, like it, it she just constantly is getting used and kind of passed around. And it's just, there's a reason it's NC 17. There are some really disturbing moments in the film. It's not like titillating at all. There's just like, you know, this whole theme of, she kind of echoes it like, am I a piece of meat? Like again and again, and thing And like, yeah, in the kind of ways this movie posits like she was treated like, you know, a piece of meat, and that's what it means to be a sex symbol in America, and like, what is it, okay. like, w- Like, what are people really after, and people who have the power to kind of, especially back then, to, you know, actually get a woman like that that they wanted, and like, yeah, it gets really kind of disturbing and icky and some really messed up scenes and ways, but um, yeah, it, but it's, again, put together like an Andrew Dominic weird nightmare dream um, and the black and white and the way he plays with footage and, and kind of creates the old Hollywood and just things that are clearly kind of art house visuals. Like, I mean, he he's pretty good. I'd put him up there with like Terrence Malick for some of that stuff that he's able to do visually. And hmm. yeah, it, it's pretty intense. And I saw it. I was the I, through a trick of circumstances, I only I ended up being the only person in the entire comic book slash CBS Sports office on last Friday, so I was like, you know what? Since there's nobody in here, fuck it. I'm putting this movie on. I know it's NC-17. I'm just gonna watch it in here. And yeah, I mean, nearly three hours flew by pretty pretty quickly. It's pretty hypnotizing, and that's probably pretty much the word you're gonna hear, I think, for both the movie and Anna De Armas. For whatever flaws it has as a narrative. And a biopic and a historical accuracy. I'm not doing all that, but <laughs> you know, it is hypnotizing. It's very hypnotizing. So
0: yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I, I've wanted to see it. Um, but like, I haven't obviously like seen it yet, but when, when does um, it drop on Netflix? Do we know? I think it's like, Oh, it was also at
1: Venice right up it was everybody was getting standing ovations. If we had seen if somebody here had seen the whale, like we'd have we'd have nailed the whole Venice trifecta right there. Yeah. But uh <laughs> Um
0: you I know, think it might yeah. be out now.
2: Uh, oh no, twenty
0: eighth. It's the twenty eighth. Okay. So a week. That's, yeah, a week. That's
2: my birthday. What a gift.
0: It's so it's yeah. in theaters. I think it's in theaters the 16th, and then it's like on Netflix the twenty-eighth or something. Of course. I the theater thing and get them awards, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Oh yeah. And there's other people in it, Adrian Brody's, Arthur Miller, Bobby Cannavale's, Joe DiMaggio. And there's like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other people who kind of make appearances in it.
2: <laughs> I like that casting. That's funny.
1: Yeah. No, everybody who's who's cast is really, really good. Like, yeah. Oh, I didn't even recognize some of these people in it. Like Garrett Della Hunt, Scoot McNary's in it. Like, yeah. A bunch of people that he's worked with before. But uh
2: yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy good. So yeah. cool. All right. All uh, Rob, uh, What do you see? Uh, yeah, I won't spend too much time on this. because This is a bit of an older release. I, I finally saw yesterday, actually Elvis, which is uh, available on HBO Max in the States. Now here it's on Crave in Canada. Uh, this came on theaters like back in June or something. Uh, it made decent money. It's a Baz Luhrmann flick. And I actually quite like Baz's style. I think actually the three of us years ago talked about The Great Gatsby. Uh, which I yeah, really sure. enjoy super like visually stylistic and over the top. And that's, you know, that's his thing, right? It's a Moulin Rouge. It's, it's Romeo and Juliet. I like those films as well. This one, um, sadly is maybe weaker than all of those. Um, it's too long. Um, but as you'd expect from Baz Luhrmann film right off the get go, it's like your super slick and stylish cinematography, your baller hit music, right? You got the animated title, title screens looped into that. Um, all the set pieces are just like extravagant and massive and epic. Right. Uh, and then you have Tom Hanks uh, who I normally love, but in this film, if you haven't seen it, he does his best like penguin impression. Um, <laughs> this weird, like Dutch accent which does not work. He wears like a fat suit and, and nose and face prosthetics. It is absurd. It's laughable. It's goofy. It does not work. And I feel like Hank's one of those guys that gets with anything because he's just, got the talent and charm you can pull it off especially a character like this who's like um he's playing the colonel who's like elvis's uh manager who you know uh, took advantage of him and pushed him to the limit so to speak uh but also was served as a father figure of sorts throughout his youth um and it's so weird to see him and austin butler as like the two title actors because austin butler does an amazing job um this is the guy who was in the Shannara Chronicles is now playing Elvis of all people, and does an amazing job. He nails like Elvis as a teen when he's discovered to when he's thirties trying to like get back out there, and they do such a great job with the makeup and everything. There's actually a lot of that. Kofi, you were just talking about someone like the amazing supporting cast of, of Blonde, and how, how you they almost get lost in the roles. I, I didn't even realize until I was looking it up that David Wenham, who I. You know the only good part of Iron Fist, but my favorite one of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings trilogy plays Hank Snow, another famous musician that, that Elvis toured with. I, I didn't even realize it was him, it was so different. Um, and, and that speaks to almost the entire cast, except for the big star Tom Hanks. Um, so that really, really, really brought it. But look, I'll say this and then we can move on. But this movie is it still watchable, it's a great streaming release. I, I would never recommend seeing it in theaters, it's just too long. Um, but the music bits are amazing, but what, what I love the most about it is it does show the best parts of Elvis being a rock star, like a rock star to the core, and not just because of his unique ability to perform and steal your heart with his crazy moves on stage doing his famous wiggle, um, but because he was a rebel, like the, the stuff he did, all the headlines he caused and the political controversy about what he was doing and the way he captured the hearts of young women everywhere, like that part they really kind of nail, but they do so. Knowingly and willingly skipping over all the sketchy shit of all the underage girls and when he first met Priscilla when he was 24 and she was 14. Like, there's some stuff you can't skip, I think, in a biopic. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, if they did delve into that, maybe this wouldn't be a watchable film. But, you know, so you have to go in knowing that. And I'm not an Elvis fan. I don't know that much about him other than the big things everyone knows. No, but they don't want to get that we, door open. He's, no, I know the entire
1: American exactly. rock and roll scene. If you go back and listen to any of those songs,
2: Totally, it is saying about twenty year olds a whole lot. <laughs> oh, oh my god, yeah, and like they, they kind of hint what he, you know he's going on tour and getting into that. Then just kind of skip over it. Then they show like five minutes of him in the army when he meets Priscilla, who's like you know an army daughter at the base, you know, and and they they're just together. They just kind of skip over that whole era. Um, so it's weird because like. If you know any any bit of that, it's weird. Um, but they also it's just the musical numbers are awesome and like there's some cool scenes with him meeting BB King and then doing music together and how he shows you like the inspiration behind his unique music and everything. Um but uh yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was okay, but I, I definitely not like what I would expect from Boz of the early aughts. You know what I mean? So um yeah. But yeah, it's it's worth it's worth watching if you have a spare night and nothing else is on streaming. But uh, I'm, let's just say I'm glad I kind of skipped this one in theaters. It's not worth worth the extra dollar. So uh, yeah, it's one little extra thing I, I watched and I was trying to catch up because I was curious about if Austin Butler could actually pull off the king, and he does. So
0: good on him. That's awesome. That's, that's a tough um, card. Okay, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two Beta in sixty seconds. Go. Did you guys play this, by the way? PS5? So I didn't. My dad was staying with us, and he was like, hold up where my PS5 was. Okay. No, I don't, I don't have a PS5 yet. I've, I oh, don't well. have it yet. Oh, hey. Do you, have a, do you need a code? I get you code
2: for Xbox. No, no. I, week- I know I don't have a PS5 or Xbox. Yeah, yeah, but this weekend. this week. Oh, you don't?
1: I thought you had Xbox. No, no. I've, uh, I'm just still on PS4, man. I haven't made the jump yet.
2: Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. Um, it might be on there though. I think it's on there too, but anyway, yeah, this thing, uh, still, even though, you know, Activision and the whole franchise was acquired by, uh, Xbox recently, it's still happening. Um, they still, they're still an old deal PlayStation you get some exclusives first. So the beta launched last weekend or this weekend, uh, exclusively on PlayStation. It opens up in a few days for, for Xbox and PC players. Um, if you call the players out there, for me, Modern Warfare 2019 is the best Call of Duty in years. It might even be the best ever, but certainly the best in the decade. And part of the reason why is because they slowed down. They got rid of like that future shit and oh, God. stuff and if they, you know, quote unquote boots on the ground. But they did so finally pushing technology forward. A new engine, which meant new physics to the mechanisms of the weapons and bullets to new sound engine. It visually it was mega impressive. And on top of that, it came with a ton of content. So your whole regular multiplayer competitive suite with a campaign it had classic a version of classic spec ops co-op two player it had a new spec ops four player co-op in this open world it had like some new modes a gunfight which are amazing and awesome it had a huge amount of weapons and and customization but on top of that it was also the launch pad for what became Warzone, which is one of the most you know one of the bigger battle royale games and certainly my favorite one Um, it was all new then they kind of fumbled the bag with the Black Ops, Cold War, then Vanguard, and they lost a ton of players, millions of players. Uh, So this is back to Infinity Ward. It's Modern Warfare 2, not a remake of the OG MW2, but a new one. They say they have a new engine again, which to me is not the case because if you look at any of the gameplay footage which came out from the reveal event and then the beta, it it's very similar to the Modern Warfare 2019. So I have mixed feelings. One, it's, you know, visually impressive. It's got the great audio. Um, the beta included your basic, you know, deathmatch and domination modes, uh, and some new modes, which involve like when you take out a player, they're out unless they get revived by their teammates. So there's two versions mm-hmm. of that. They're pretty much the same. And then for players who got deep into it, they change up the movement a little bit. So a big thing with Modern Warfare and Vanguard is like, you, you have to be a master of the movement. So by that, I mean, you have to like do this thing called slide canceling. So if you want to maintain fast movement, you have to run slide, cancel slide, move again. And you can always maintain like a super fast sprint while also doing all the jumping and moving. I actually hate that because to me, like I, could you imagine it on a battlefield? People like doing baseball slides and then jumping. As <laughs> right. You yeah. know what I mean? It's ridiculous, right? I hate it. Yeah. Um, so they fix the cancel slide stuff. Mostly there's still, still some exploits that got to work out in, in, with the bugs but they're double down on the jumping stuff so much so that they encourage jumping and dol- they literally have a maneuver called dolphin diving where you dive forward into prone position with seemingly no penalty to your ability to aim your weapon or shoot or anything. So that's all very frustrating. Um, yeah. So, so it, it, I, I couple that with another big caveat, this is, because they're saying it's a new engine, they're saying this game, Modern Warfare 2, is the new sort of beginning or platform for the future. The next Call of Duty Warzone is coming out in November. All the future Call of Duty games for the first sequel feature will be built in the same engine so they can all integrate properly. But, what, but by doing that, they're kind of throwing away the previous Warzone, which means all the people who've invested time unlocking stuff or putting in money to buy COD points to buy skins and weapons, camouflage, all this kind of stuff, they're just throwing it all away. Thank now, you. if when you guys played Fortnite in the last five years and bought a skin or a character in that, or you did that for PUBG, you still that's have it because they yeah. evolve the game. They give you new maps and changes in chapters and chapters. They always carries forward. Activision took all your money and said, "Ha, it's all burned now. You got to start again." So uh, the moral of the story is: do not invest any money <laughs> in Activision's microtransactions and bundles because they're going to take it away from you. So that's very frustrating. It's I'm I'm I get very angry about anti-consumer. Big corporate actions like this, uh, because again, the competitors like Apex Legends, Fortnite, PUBG, you still have your stuff if you ever invested in this game. They took it all away within two years, so that's extremely frustrating. But um, it seems like a bit of a stripped-down version of Modern Warfare. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a chance. I think this is the best developer they have in Call of Duty. But uh, I'm curious if you guys can jump into it this weekend. It's launches again Friday, so uh, we can play. Yeah,
0: that. I'm definitely gonna comes yeah, out in full. full. Are you so? You're going to be using uh, like you're gonna. Are you gonna be playing on PC this weekend? Or are you gonna play on PS5? Well, still?
2: the good news is I think it's fully crossplay again, so so we okay. can play on controller or mouse and keyboard on any three any of the three platforms, and we can all play together. But because of the beta was on PS5, I did play on PS5. Um, yeah. Although I have to admit, like ever since PS4, I've kind of abandoned controllers, and so I'm really bad at like movement and stuff on the controller. Now I've like become so ingrained to use the mouse and keyboard. I kind of yeah, suck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so maybe <laughs> you can beat funny. me now. Um,
0: yeah. Hey, that's the only way that I would be able to beat you. I think <laughs> Kofi, I
2: suspect is a bit of a demon on the controller because he plays Apex. So, um, yeah, um, that's we'll true. See. That's a good point. Uh, anyway, nothing yeah, gaming yeah, yeah. maybe
0: gaming. can, uh, maybe we can play a little bit this weekend. <laughs>
1: no, nah, man, I'm, yeah, I, man, I'm good at Apex. I'm good at these fucking tablet games. I've been, destroying people in these tablet games these controllers
2: are slowing me out. <laughs> you need the touchpad action yeah,
0: yeah.
1: oh yeah oh man now I know why you PC people are always getting the edge
0: <laughs> <laughs> and most click baby yeah, that's funny um, alright well yeah that'll do it for this week's podcast X Um, We will be back next week, but in the meantime, um, you can follow me at Ben Kendrick. That's B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K on Twitter. You can check out what I'm doing over at Rise at 7, Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, you can
2: follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys is K-E-Y-E-S. And I've not been streaming for a couple of weeks because of all the stuff we talked about up front, but I am on uh, Twitch and Instagram at FailCube. Some special guest Kofi Outlaw.
1: Um, I'm at Kofi Outlaw on the socials at Comic Book. If you want to follow the work at Comic Book Nation, if you want to jump from this excellent show to another excellent show, um, you can get Comic Book Nation. We also have a YouTube page for Comic Book Nation, which is YouTube Comic Book Nation, where we do videos of our shows and theories and reactions and all that good stuff. Plus you can also, uh, Oh my God, I'm tired. I've, I've promoted everything. We're on your podcast platforms. We're on your streaming platforms. <laughs> Problem comic book nation at Kofi outlaw podcast X. Fuck with me. I guess that's my, must my end. <laughs> I don't,
0: I don't know what else to say. That was such a great, that was such a great outro. I'm just gonna, I'm going to end it there. We will see you guys next week.